In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be recreated, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of thy faithful, grant by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I know you've been waiting with bated breath for months to hear this. Are you living your holy hour, gentlemen? Good. Especially during times, no matter what they might be, right? Here in the seminary or out of the seminary, whenever it is, it's who we are, not just what we do. And that's part of what it means to live the holy hour. It's part of who I am not simply what I, what I do. I'd like to continue, gentlemen, um, with our goals that we've been talking about. As you remember, I started this, uh, this past year looking at the newly revised goals for seminary formation. And they're in each one of the four dimensions of seminary formation. We're looking now at human formation. I've already spoken to you about the first goal that a seminarian is to be a man who practices virtues, and we looked at those criteria. And then at the end of the semester, I had begun the second goal, which is a man who demonstrates affective maturity. And that goal has four criteria in it. How do, if you were to ask yourself, how am I supposed to live up to that goal? Well, there's these four criteria that are found in the seminarian handbook, right? And the first, I began to talk about in my last rector's conference. The first criteria to be demonstrating effective maturity is that he's a man who cultivates friendships with others. He cultivates friendships with others. As I pointed out at the beginning of that conference, we're in kind of a crisis of friendship. People think that they know how to be friends, mainly by way of Facebook, and they get a thumbs up. But what we've been discovering, including based on a survey done last summer, uh, not this past summer, the summer of 2019, have discovered that many Americans, including and especially younger people, feel lonely and that they have very few true friends. They might have dozens, if not hundreds, of Facebook friends, but not necessarily true friends. Even among the Gen Zers, 79% said that they were lonely. Among the millennials, 71% said that they were lonely. Friendship is a deep human good. It's a part of human formation. And it certainly does help us not to be lonely. It's one of the the goods that it promotes is joy. Now, as I said the last time that I had my director's conference, I was talking about four steps of developing friendship. And I I just spoke of the first two, and so I'd like to begin with the second second set, the, the third and the fourth steps of developing friendship. We talk, when you begin to develop a friendship, you really begin at the emotional level. 
And so they call that emotional affinity. And that just begins with a relationship because you've got an affinity with this person in a sports group, in a class, and um, even a particular church. But that's not quite friendship. It's only the, could be the, could be the beginning of friendship. But if you just have this emotional affinity with someone, they might be an acquaintance, but not yet a friend. Then, in developing a friendship, it moves from emotional affinity to the second step, which is understanding. That's when you really get to know a person. You know about them. That's important for friendship, even though it's not quite yet friendship. The third step is where we want to begin today. It's really at the third step where friendship begins to flower. It's called common interests. It marks the movement from companionship to friendship. It's a move from kind of common activity that you have with someone and circumstances to common interest between the two of you. This also marks the difference between fraternity and friendship. I'll talk about this a little bit later on, but there is a difference between fraternity and friendship. Fraternity is is good. It's built up among acquaintances and companions, but it's not yet friendship. Friendship begins really at this step of common interests. It is not an interest shared equally with other companions, which means that there's something different in your relationship with this person than with your other companions. And therefore, the relationship is not shared equally. You might be on the same basketball team, for instance, with someone, but you're not necessarily friends with everybody on the team. You don't share that same relationship that you might have with a best friend who's also on the team. To say that that friends share common interests is to say that they share thoughts, desires, tastes, opinions that others don't quite share. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, the typical expression for the beginning of a friendship might be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. You find a common interest that's unique, right? When I was in high school, I got to know a classmate of mine. We were sophomores and we were just companions. We were in a few classes together and one of the classes we were in together was an English class. I discovered that he had a library card for the local college, and it would be advantageous to use that local college library for the research for our paper. Well, we used the same library card. I I don't think that was illegal at the time, but I'm not sure as I think back on it. So we used the same card, and I figured out he had a rather complicated last name, and I figured out I got to know him a little bit more. I started know how to sign his name, because I knew his last name. We also went to the library together to do research for this paper. I discovered that we had common interests, like the basketball game. So when we started to drive, we, we would drive each other to the basketball games. 
Then we were interested in cross-country and running, and he joined the team that I was on. And then I discovered he's interested in the priesthood like I was. I just called him last week. We've been friends ever since. He's a Benedictine monk now in Coleman, Alabama at St. Bernard's Abbey. We still stay in touch. I've known his family. His parents are both died. He's got some great siblings. But a friendship started as we discovered those common interests. As it moved from, oh, he's a classmate of mine, he's in a few classes of mine, to something more, to something unique. And I do think that that shift happened around the time that we discovered that both of us were thinking about the priesthood. That question of C.S. Lewis, what, you two, was an important transition. Again, common interest does not mean that you agree that the same football team is the best in the NFL. And I know that's the Eagles. But common interest means the affinity of common interest can be complementary. You could actually disagree about certain things. And you do favor diversity among yourselves as friends. So you're going to have difference of opinions and outlooks. A friend is not a carbon copy of you, and you are not a carbon copy of your friend. The capacity for friends is in direct proportion to the quantity and quality of our interests, because we can share those interests with a friend. The greater the kind of quality that we have, not necessarily the quantity, but the quality that we have in the interests that we have, the greater possibility of having deeper friends because they will share in those things. This is why it's good to have a number of interests that are somewhat maybe even unique and of good quality. Superficial interests attract superficial people. They will not be true friends. Deeply good and human interests attract quality people that can become quality friends. So that's the third step. And then the next step where you really are sure that a friendship has flowered is when there is interest in your friend. It's not just, again, common interests, but the relationship has moved in which you're interested in the good of the other, as Aquinas said. Your interest is no longer just simply in things, activities, but in the person. Friendship leads to the friend becoming the center of the friendship. That's a great question to ask. Am I friends with this person? Or do we just have things that we like together? What's at the center of my friendship? Because if it's those things, when they maybe disappear, so will the friendship, if there was one to begin with. The other person, an interest in the other, is the principal content of friendship, which goes beyond even common interests that had occupied your relationship in the first place. And this interest in the other person demands commitment to the other. It's something that goes beyond feelings and experiences. This is the way that Monsignor Philip Halfacre from the Diocese of Peoria puts it in his book, Genuine Friendship. 
and Jacob Martini. Jacob knows all about this. He lived with Monsignor Halfacre, who's a friend of mine, um, for quite some time. And this is the way he puts it in his book. He says, genuine friendship is not fundamentally a matter of seeking a positive experience, but of committing oneself to a person and to the good that will come from that relationship. The friend interests us more than those things. And that's a sign of true friendship. Now, those are kind of, if you will, the steps to developing a friendship. But I'd like to now talk a little bit about what to be on the lookout for as far as qualities of friendship. And the qualities that we want to build up, if you will, foster in a friend that we have. The first, and I'm I'm using this, this word with a lowercase c, friendship is Catholic. That's the first quality. I don't mean that you have to you only have friends with Catholics. I don't mean that. But I mean, in, again, with a lower C, it's, it's really open. It's universal in a, in a good sense. It's that capacity of a certain person to have friends, and it's open to actually people who may be a little different than you are. It reaches out to others and, and is able to form friendships with all sorts of people. Just like the Catholic Church is both unity in diversity and diversity in unity, and that's the best, I think, definition I've ever heard of Catholic, unity in diversity and diversity in unity. So a good quality of a friendship is that it's not closed in on itself, that it has the capacity to have others as part of that friendship, or that individuals are capable of developing friends that are even different than themselves. It's truly kind of Catholic. Another good quality. So we, uh, just as a, as a note here, if you, if you notice a friendship, what they call maybe particular friendships or friendships that are too closed in on themselves, they're lacking this quality. Right? It's just the two of them. Well, that's not healthy. That's not good. And that can often be a sign of the deterioration of a friendship. So, that's the first kind of quality I think that's important for every friendship. The second is that friendship lacks self-interest. It's it's truly, as the saying goes, more about giving than receiving. It seeks the good of the other. It puts my interests in second place and allows the interest of the other to prevail. There's a, a story about a Greek philosopher by the name of Phintias. And the ruler, Dionysius, was judged that Phintias should be put to death. Well, Phintias asked the ruler, Dionysius, for one day to return home and put his affairs into order before he was executed. Now think about that. Are you willing to let this guy go? Dionysus consented, he said, as long as Phintias would leave behind his friend, Damon, as a hostage. And if Phintias went home, 
and didn't come back, then Damon would be executed in his place. When Dionysius saw how willingly Damon said yes to be the hostage, and when Phintius went home and returned on time to be executed instead of Damon, Dionysius asked whether he could be admitted to their friendship, which moved him deeply. The interest is the other, right? It's not me. It's not about my, my, my own needs. Thirdly, another quality of friendship to look for and to foster in friendship is that, of course, it's very logical that friendship ought to be reciprocal. This is something, especially as priests, when you're working with young people, when they get all upset or there's some tragedy or something happens and they're having difficulty with this person or that person, you begin to see that, yeah, they're kind of still growing in these qualities. And one of them is, you know, I do all of this and my friend just seems to take advantage of me. Well, I'm not quite sure then, you know, you need to work on that friendship or they're not really a friend. Because affection and goodwill has to be mutual. It puts forth an effort to maintain and grow and deepen a relationship. And that's demanded of both people. Both. This is particularly helpful with couples that are believing to be friends and in a romantic relationship. It might be more emotional and affective than a true friendship. And the reason why is is right here, right? One may be putting forth a lot of effort, but the other is just using the other for their own own self-interest. And that doesn't bode well for a good relationship. And it certainly is not upon which one should build a marriage. Now this, of course, this, this quality has got to grow over time and in different circumstances. It demands, in order for friendship to be reciprocal, that we spend time and in conversation and common activity with the other. That takes sacrifice. And I'll tell you, as a, as a priest, it can be difficult to maintain priest friendships. I may have told this story to some of you. Um, when I was a seminarian, there was a group of us that uh, a priest was having over to the rectory And he showed us in his sitting room a wooden box. And he opened it up, and there was a red phone in it. We thought, maybe, was this the bat cave or what? So he opens up this box. Now, this was at the time, this was in the 1980s. uh, Yeah, early 80s, I think, early to mid-80s. A time in which it was not unusual for rectories to be set up so that a priest could never make a personal phone call on the rectory line. A priest had to have his own phone line because he would have to pay for his personal phone calls. Now that we've got cell phones, it doesn't really matter. But this red phone was his phone. And he said, you know why that's there? Why? That's the phone I use to call my friends on. I mean, he actually, that's, what, that's how he described that phone of his. He made an effort to keep in contact And that's so important 
if we're going to continue to foster a friendship. Friendship also understands the other, their good points and bad, their strengths and their weaknesses. It means making a real effort to understand the convictions of our friends, even though they might be a little bit different than our own. Even though we may not come to share their convictions or accept them, maybe they're of a different ilk, politically, socially, that's possible. We see, of course, very clearly in friendships like Supreme Court justices. We all know the the famous example of of, uh, Scalia and, um, what's her name? Ginsburg, yes. They had a they had a, a, a very a very strong friendship, but boy, did they disagree, right? But that's still it's possible in understanding the other, you can still have a friendship even though it's not the same thoughts that you have. A friendship affirms also another in love for who they are now, meaning that yes, you do accept their defects, their personal history, their social status the particular circumstances of their lives. A friend is willing to discover the good in every person, even though at times, and in certain times in life, it's very difficult. This does not mean that a friend is satisfied that his or her friend is is, um, good where they are. It doesn't mean that they're complacent about someone else and their difficulties, and maybe even their sinfulness. You want what's best for that person. At the same time, a true friend is willing to love you despite weaknesses, problems, difficulties, and apparent sins. Friendship also perseveres. And this is one of the things that I think young people especially have a difficulty with. Simply persevering through difficulties, carrying your cross. A priest friend of mine who taught high school sophomores for 25 years, he must be a saint. Um, He was a loving father to them and a very good teacher. Uh, We knew each other in the seminary. We were actually stationed together in a parish. I still stay in touch with him. But he used to have a line that he would give his high school sophomores precisely because they struggled in persevering when difficulties happened. And he would lovingly look at them and say, suck it up, cupcake. And of course, he was so well-loved that they took that well. But suck it up, cupcake was sort of like saying, just keep going, persevere, don't give up. Yeah, these are trials, so what? Don't go around them, go through them, right? That's needed more today than ever. When we have immediate, you know, response to our needs, sometimes we don't, the struggles that we have, other people plow them out of the way. No, we need to persevere, particularly in friendship. There's a story about uh, the famous baseball player, Jackie Robinson, who was the first, as you know, black man to play Major League Baseball. Uh, He apparently one night was playing a baseball game in his home stadium in Brooklyn 
and he committed an error on defense. The fans, his own fans, began to ridicule him. Jackie Robinson stood on second base completely humiliated, not only by his error, but by their jeering. But then something happened. The shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, what a great baseball name, right? Pee Wee Reese came over to Jackie and stood next to him. He put his arm around him and he faced the crowd. The fans grew quiet. Jackie Robinson later said that that arm around his shoulder saved his career. Pee Wee was a friend, persevered in that friendship, even in difficult times. Then the next kind of quality I think that's important for friendship is something that Aquinas refers to, and it's really the the last one here. You know, when when he's talking about um, a friend is interested in, you know, the, the other, that ultimate interest is really virtue. And the, the good of the other, ultimately for man, is, is really that, that the person is a virtuous person. So friendship is meant to serve that end of your friend. It's meant to serve the development of virtue and of achieving holiness in both individuals. So, once again, this is great advice to give people when they're struggling, whether it's a romantic relationship or or any kind of other friendship, what's supposed to be a friendship, and yet someone comes and says, but this friend is is kind of leading me to do this and to do that. It's it's all kind of sinful, right? Well, you got to say, that's not friendship then. If that person is interested in you, doing all those things and is encouraging to do those things that are sins, they're not a true friend. A true friend is interested in virtue, in your holiness. St. Teresa of Avila wrote to her friend Don Francisco this, Please, God, you will live until I die. Then I shall ask God to summon you promptly, lest I should be without you in heaven. Now there's a, there's a true friend, a true friend. Mother Teresa says, don't expect your friend to be a perfect person, but help your friend to become a perfect person. That's true friendship. Friends help each other toward the ultimate good, and that good is union with God. Well, that takes us to the kind of the end of of this kind of criteria of friendship. The next time, we'll talk about the next criteria of demonstrating affective maturity, which is to respect appropriate boundaries in relationships. So I want to talk about what does that mean? I know you've heard that a lot, so have I. What, does it mean? what do boundaries mean? And how do I respect them? And why is it important? And how do I practically live that respect for boundaries? Because it is a sign of affective maturity.